before that time, I mean, I felt unloved. You know, I felt unwanted. I'm, in my way of thinking, it was basically my parents didn't want me. Like they had an opportunity to come and get us, you know, from the first orphanage, they didn't want it. And so why would anyone else want me? Like I felt like there was no hope for the future. Mm -hmm. Truthfully, being an orphan, um, the future I had to look forward to isn't very bright for a girl, you know. Mm -hmm. And so getting the shoebox and just feeling that love from a stranger, mm -hmm. that was amazing. And it was just incredible just the fact that somebody did that for me. Welcome back to another episode of On the Ground with Samaritan's Purse, where we take you to the front lines and behind the scenes of our work around the world. I'm your host, Christy Graham. And as an adoptive mom, today's topic means a lot to me personally. November is National Adoption Month, and many churches around the world recognize Orphan Sunday, the second Sunday of November. The purpose is to set aside time to focus and pray for the needs of orphans and vulnerable children globally. My husband Edward and I have four children, one of which we adopted from China, and so I've seen firsthand how important adoption is. But I want you to know that caring for orphans isn't limited to adoption. It's so much more than that, and I'm excited to dig into this topic today and give practical ways to love and pray for orphans worldwide. Like Orphan Sunday, we want to bring awareness today on the podcast and provide engagement and action. I recently spoke with Dr. Rick Morton. He is the Vice President of Engagement with Lifeline Children's Services. This is the adoption agency that, that Edward and I used, and I couldn't recommend them enough. I thought that it was important to sit down with Dr. Rick as an expert on adoption, but more importantly, to learn more about how, as believers, we can care for orphans in different ways. First, I talked to Dr. Rick about his own adoption story. We have three kids, all of We've come home through international adoption. We've kind of done everything conventionally that our social workers try to frown on people doing. We we started with a, we adopted an 18 month old, and then five years later adopted a seven year old, and then uh, two years later adopted a 14 year old, and uh, and and so we've kind of seen God play fruit basket turnover with our family through that process. Um, Part of the answer, answering the call to adoption is to step into brokenness. We know that we're, that we're in the circumstances we're in as a family because some things didn't go right. And as a matter of fact, some things were, were broken and irrevocably broken. But that doesn't mean that God can't bring something beautiful um, out of that brokenness. That's the story of the gospel. We have a responsibility to care for vulnerable children uh, that, that God calls us as his people to do that, but adoption is not the answer for the vulnerability of every child. It's the exact right answer for some children, but it's not the right answer for every child. And, and so how do we put ourselves in, ourselves in position that in the body of Christ around the world that we're, we're engaging vulnerable children with intentionality and, and with the gospel at the forefront of what we do so that so that we meet all of that vulnerability in ways that that both help children and and, and give them the, the things that they need today immediately, but also point the world to the greater hope that's that's only founded in Jesus. And and one of the reasons we love Samaritan's Purse and love the relationship that we're able to have as as ministries is is we know that's something that we share in common. Um, is is this great passion that that ultimately yes we're serving tangible needs of people but but more than that uh, as we do it we're pointing people to 
to, to finding the, the hope in their greatest need, which is um, that they find peace with God through Christ. As Dr. Morton said, Samaritan's Purse and Lifeline are both passionate about sharing the gospel with people in need around the world. Lifeline's vehicle to do this is primarily adoption. While at Samaritan's Purse, orphan care most often looks like helping vulnerable families. We work hard to keep families together through projects like livelihood programming and maternal child health. We also support orphanages and children's homes in 20 countries to care for boys and girls who don't have safe families of their own. And as I said earlier, orphan care doesn't just mean adoption. It also looks like breaking the cycle of generational chains of poverty. Our Samaritan's Purse livelihood programs are key to stopping the cycle of vulnerability. Dave Phillips, Samaritan's Purse Deputy Director of International Projects, described how caring for these children goes far beyond rehousing or family integration. It is a dedication to the long-term well-being of family units. We have an incredible church-based program that's helping with the livelihoods of people that are in rural uh, mm-hmm. settings and who are living on the margins. And it's those families that are on the margins whose kids are the most vulnerable uh, for all different types of um, uh, exploitation and, and being lost in the system, as it were. And so what we're doing in Kenya is we're working with the local church and the, and the local pastors to identify the members of the community who are on the brink sort of of um, getting into extreme poverty. And so they aren't able to pay for school fees. Um, they aren't able to pay for, to buy enough food for their kids to eat. So the children are usually malnourished. And so what we do is we work with the local church and identify these families and we provide basic inputs like mm-hmm. uh, a couple of goats or we'll provide um, a, a startup honey bee farm mm-hmm for a family. And then we provide training for multiple months to help them. And so we teach and we provide inputs so that the families are able to create a livelihood out of those small inputs that we give. Mm -hmm. And then, okay, well, how much do you charge for what you're selling? Okay, now you've sold that. Now, what do you do with that money? You need to have saved some of it and put it back into your business, but then you also need to use some of it to pay for school fees and to pay for nutritious foods uh, for your kids. And what this does is it creates an opportunity for these families to move out of a situation of extreme poverty to where they can pay for school fees. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can buy food uh, for their kids. And even with the honey and the, and the animals, you know, goats, uh, you get milk from goat, you get, uh, you get meat, and there's mm-hmm. other opportunities both for nutrition and for livelihoods. And what this does is it really elevates a family out of a situation of vulnerability. And of course, the, the people that benefit from that the most are these vulnerable kids uh, that are in those families. And the exciting part of that is it's all done through the local church. Mm-hmm. So there's an immediate social network mm-hmm. that happens there where the pastors are able to engage and the church members are able to engage right alongside of our teams that are working in these communities. Hearing this uh, was heartbreaking. It it made me think that I take so much for granted. Necessities like food and water and a warm home. They come at a high cost for people in impoverished or war-torn communities. And And this always affects kids the most. Oftentimes, children who end up in the foster care system or on the streets, they're there because their family lacks the resources to provide for them. Parents feel like they can't love their children well when they don't have basic necessities of life. And the goal is to build stable home environments for kids and their parents. 
And sometimes that stability is only made possible when parents are empowered to provide for their children. There's all kinds of different uh, livelihood activities that moms can participate in that then give them the opportunity to actually buy and sell or trade. And then they have the funds that they need in order to pay for food and for educational uh, support. And so we try to engage in these programs uh, in ways that make cultural sense, that are relevant uh, for wherever that person is, and then help them Mm -hmm. to be able to sustain that long term. Just like Dave said— We have to get to the root of the issue and provide programs that are culturally relevant. And as I've mentioned throughout this episode, I'm an advocate for adoption. In fact, last year this time, Edward and I shared how God called us to adopt, and we gave practical ways to take action. But as we've mentioned today, the solution to the orphan crisis isn't always adoption. And many orphans aren't true orphans. Many families could have stayed intact if their basic needs had been met. So many of the factors are out of their control. Famine, drought, they threaten livelihoods. Refugee mothers struggle to provide stable housing for their kids while fleeing their home countries. War situations and famine often leave families caught in financial stress that impacts kids. These tragedies cause instability, which always harms children. Another problem mothers face is the dangers of childbirth. With advanced medicine and access to healthcare, this isn't something that I often think of in a developed country. For many other mothers, labor complications can be fatal, leaving the newborn child without a maternal provider. A few years ago, 94% of all maternal deaths occurred in under-resourced countries. Our child and maternal health programs come alongside mothers all over the world by providing medical care, safe birthing centers, nutrition, and breastfeeding classes. I've talked with many of our staff members, and they're so passionate because they see the projects on the ground in their communities. They're nutritionists, doulas, caretakers who love to serve women with their skills. And all of these complexities and needs, they sometimes feel removed from our everyday life, especially here in the West. And so that is why I wanted Dr. Rick to share why the orphan crisis is a critical calling and to uncover the needs around the world. Sometimes people hear through this month or on Orphan Sunday, and they think adoption is the only thing they can do to engage in orphan care. So maybe first, can you share what is the, what is the crisis you're seeing? Can you even explain what orphan care is and, and the need? When, when we look at, the, at sort of at the Bible definition of, of what an orphan is, and we look at the examples that we see, particularly through the Old Testament, um, the, the number today of kids that would find themselves in that kind of vulnerability is epic. Um, you know, UNICEF would tell us that there are 163 million, 167 million kids that are that fall into um, the, the category of, of of being orphaned. We know that truly that's not really a great number because it 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 was a number that was kind of invented to talk about AIDS vulnerability. Um, and, and really is talking about kids that in many cases are still in homes. But we also know that the numbers that we look at every day don't account for um, street children. They don't account for undocumented children. They don't account for children that are growing up in nations, particularly um, Islamic nations, that don't report orphan statistics at all. Um, and, and so I think it's hard to get our arms around the scope of the crisis. Um, I would I would conjecture that there are well over 200 million children around the world 
that find themselves in a level of vulnerability that that the scripture would point to them as being orphaned. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that there are of those 200 million children that there's probably around 10% of them that are institutionalized around the world. And so that means that in whatever situation they're in, they're deprived of family and, and they're living in a circumstance where an institution is meeting their needs for food, clothing, and shelter uh, and, and, and providing some level of safety to them, but they're not in the kind of circumstance that God created children for. Um, and, and I think the, 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 the truth is when you, when you look at that scope of um, the large number of, of orphan and vulnerable children around the world, it, it can be a little bit staggering and a little bit off-putting just because we don't even know where to begin. Um, where, where we're just like, we don't know how to step in and we don't know what to do. I think you, you know, you mentioned well also that, that sometimes when it comes around November and, and, and we're talking about orphan care, um, the fact that this is also National Adoption Month, people in the Christian community, I think disproportionately, have, have sort of looked at um, adoption as being kind of the, the primary answer uh, for the way that we're supposed to care for orphans in, you know, as, as God's people. And that's not really true at all. I loved hearing that Dr. Morton said, caring for orphans doesn't have to look like one path, adoption. Every family is diverse. God has called us all to different things. Uh, But we are all called to love and care for orphans and to love the widow. Um, So one thing that we all have in common is to love as Jesus loved. Um, We would estimate here, and this is kind of a rough thumbnail estimate, but of those children that would meet the Bible's definition of of orphaned, um, probably only about one half of 1% of the children around the world could be helped by adoption. Most of them, their their vulnerability is not going to be met through adoption, but we've still been given responsibility um, by God to, to care for them, to seek their welfare, to support them, and, and ultimately for us to, to shepherd them. Speaking to both Dr. Morton and Dave made me think of all the refugee families fleeing their homes, how children are truly caught up in the chaos. Kids are separated from their parents through disaster and war. Families are, are fleeing right now all over the world. I heard a, a caretaker mm-hmm. um, um, that worked for the government of Ukraine talk about trying to flee from one of the areas where there was bombing and get out into a safe, into a safe area with the kids. And this was an orphanage in, in Mykolaiv, which is like right on the, on the front line where the fighting is. And there was something like 76 orphans mm-hmm. that under the care of 10 caretakers. Mm-hmm. And they were, the oldest was four years old and the youngest was three weeks old. And the fighting started, and they had to get out, and so they didn't have a place to go. And they, they called one of our uh, our partners, Pastor Frederick, and they said, Pastor Frederick, do you have a place for us to stay? And he's like, yes, come. And so he describes these babies showing up, 76 babies that hadn't slept in 24 hours at his church. Mm-hmm. And they're crying, and the caretakers are stressed out, and it's a war, you know, mm-hmm. war type of a situation. And so the um, through that church there, one of our mm-hmm. the, our close partners, Pastor Frederick, they were able to take those kids in, provide formula and diapers, and then to help get them on the way. Whether fleeing from war or searching for better opportunities, displaced families around the world are often left to fend for themselves, and children are especially at risk. When, when you think about 
the, the violence of a war, um, a child doesn't have the ability to protect themselves in any way. In a war, you have even added layers of danger mm-hmm. and instability uh, that exist uh, for these kids. Mm-hmm. And I think of one of the moms that we helped on the uh, the flights from mm-hmm. Poland to Canada, and she was eight months pregnant. Her name was Maria, and she didn't have a place. She was living in Poland at the time as a refugee. She didn't have a place to have her baby. And so she was able to get on that flight and fly to Canada. She called it God's Mercy Flight, and mm-hmm. she had a safe place to deliver her baby in Canada when she arrived. And these are just some of the stories of how how vulnerable these kids really are, you know, in the midst of the fighting, in the midst of the instability of the war. It is so important that our teams help meet physical needs. Uh, but always, our goal is the spiritual need of the gospel. And every time we partner with pastors like Pastor Frederick, we're praying that the message of the gospel advances. And even as Dave described, helping with practical needs like nutritious food, safe shelter, and child education, they all open the door for the gospel. Another ministry, Operation Christmas Child, is one that directly impacts the lives of orphans. Through this project, millions of gift-filled shoeboxes are sent each year, and many of them are put into the hands of orphans. Uh, Many of these orphans have never received a gift of their own, and they don't have an earthly father. But by receiving this shoebox, they hear about the greatest gift, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they learn about a heavenly father who loves them dearly. I spoke with Elena, who received an Operation Christmas Child shoebox when she was young, living in an orphanage in the Soviet Union. Before that time, I mean, I felt unloved. You know, I felt unwanted. I'm, in my way of thinking, it was basically my parents didn't want me. Like, they had an opportunity to come and get us, you know, from the first orphanage. They didn't want it. And so why would anyone else want me? Um, the future I had to look forward to isn't very bright for a girl, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so getting the shoebox and just feeling that love from a stranger mm-hmm. was amazing. And it was just incredible, just the fact that somebody did that for me. Talking to Elena was powerful. Hearing about the way that God used the shoebox to show her his love for her. Uh, it reminded me of my time in, at an orphanage in Thailand and then adopting Levi from China. Both of these experiences and meeting orphans uh, opened my eyes to how difficult and hopeless it can be. And that's why I love how Operation Christmas Child is bringing hope, lasting hope in the form of the gospel. And, And the team at Lifeline, they've even seen around the world the ways that Operation Christmas Child shoeboxes makes a difference in the lives of children. Caring for these kids also means giving them a community that they can plug into um, when they leave institutions or they're adopted. It's not a one-size-fits-all approach. In something as complex as the orphan crisis, we can't afford to fall in love with one methodology or with one way of doing things. There are so many needs um, that that are so prevalent on so many levels. It takes all of us doing you know, many multiple things. So how, how do we stand in the gap for, for those, those kids? Well, first of all, um, is, is creating in, in relationships within their nation so that the church and the institution are brought together so that when these kids graduate out of an institution, they don't graduate, they graduate into a community, a place where they're known, a place where they're valued, a place where they're, where they're loved, and, and, and ultimately a place where they can be nurtured. 
Long-term solutions are always the focus of these partnerships. Our partners and even our national Operation Christmas Child staff, they focus on building these long-lasting relationships with kids through discipleship and training. We can't break the cycle of the orphan crisis just by treating symptoms. We really have to get to the root of the problem. And we want to equip kids to be able to develop skills, to encourage them to think big ideas and learn the skills to help them achieve these dreams helping to mobilize the church and to bring the resources around in order to, to be able to teach life skills and job skills so that, so that these kids build a future. Because institutions do really, most of the time, a, a really poor job of, of teaching kids life skills and, and the things that, that, that children need to know in order to, to be successful that families are great at teaching. In Haiti, Samaritan's Purse is doing this through the Greta Home and Academy. Penny Farrow, the director, explained the importance of preparing kids for real life following their time at their school. We have over 280 children that attend the academy Monday through Friday. So we're meeting their educational needs, uh, going through classical schooling from kindergarten to the last year of secondary school. Uh, Also just uh, day-to-day meeting their spiritual needs through morning and evening devotions, uh, church service on Sundays, Bible studies throughout the week, and community involvement is very important. Penny described the ceremony for the first graduating class at the Greta Academy. Six of the graduates, all boys, are now attending university at Port-au-Prince, Haiti. The staff at the Greta Home are continuing to support these young people as they watch them transform from kids to adults. It's just been amazing to watch over the years uh, these children grow uh, from just young teenagers into uh, these young men that are attending university. It's just been truly amazing. And I know that uh, the young men are just, you know, active in their community, active in a local church, and really just uh, wanting to share their lives and share the gospel with others uh, and just be a light in the university setting. And that's part of our vision is raising uh, the Christian leaders for the future of Haiti and doing so not only in their community, but also in schools and in businesses and maybe in the future in government. That's part of what I love about Samaritan's Purse um, is that that in the things that you're doing in feeding programs and in the things that you're doing and creating field hospitals and, and all these other resources to sustain families and help keep families together, they're all about meeting people at the dip, at kind of along the continuum of vulnerability um, and certainly addressing the, the tangible things that lead to orphanhood. Mm-hmm. But more than that, investing the, the hope of the gospel at every stage along the way um, so that people not only find like good things and, and, and they find you know some level of wholeness in this life, but ultimately they're being pointed toward um, eternal life. When I think about serving in Jesus' name, I think about those who don't have an earthly father, the ones Jesus calls the least of these. We're called to be the church and the family to these children. We are to love and care for orphans and point them to our heavenly father who loves them more than any earthly father ever could. I love Psalm 10:4 that says, But you, God, see the trouble of the afflicted. You consider their grief and take it in hand. The victims commit themselves to you. You are the helper of the fatherless.
And in the orphan crisis, it's complex. The statistics can be overwhelming. Uh, but I think it's encouraging to hear the ways that that Jesus is encouraging his church to love his children. So if adoption isn't for you, uh, you can still take action. Uh, prayer is a powerful way to get involved. I encourage you to pray for the children and the single moms in Ukraine. Pray for, for kids like Elena, who will receive the gospel through an Operation Christmas Child shoebox this year. Pray for staff members at the Greta Home and many like them that are serving children. Pray for Lifeline as they step in to meet the very real need of children around the world that adoption is the right answer for. Uh, And again, these needs will continue long after National Adoption Month comes to a close. And so if you want to hear more about this topic, I encourage you to check out an episode that we published last year. It's a conversation between Edward and I as we shared about how God led us um, into the adoption process. If you want to hear our heart, um, I encourage you to, to go to our show notes at the end of this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in and thank you for your prayers. <laughs>